we're starting a brand new series today, and, and it's a little bit of a different experience for us. Um, we're starting something called Story Formed, um, and, and this is kind of exciting for me because it's a, a brand new, not just series, but kind of a new way of doing a series. Um, and, and this is going to be new to many of you too, so we'll kind of experience this together a little bit. But over the next 10 weeks, what we're going to be doing together is kind of walking through the Bible story by story. In, in one cohesive grand narrative, we're going to be looking at it as if it were, which we believe it is, one big story, and, and we're going to be talking about and drawing from that story all kinds of principles and things that, that we're learning about God and about ourselves and about the world. Um, and, and this is going to take us the rest of 2012 to get through. We're going to use 10 weeks to, to go through it this way. Uh, if you're like me, you may have kind of considered that the Bible in a, in a number of different ways. You, you may have seen it as something of a rule book that tells you what you should do or you should not do and, and kind of saw it that way. Maybe it was used in that way in your life at some point in time. Some of us, we, we consider the Bible as if it are sort of a, an instruction manual for life. And, and so we just mine it for principles that are going to guide us, but we don't see it for much else than that. What we're doing is we're presenting the Bible as a grand story, one that's been kind of being written since the beginning of time, all the way through today and even into the future. And it's a story that wraps all of our stories and all of our lives up into it. And whether you're kind of a believer in Jesus or whether this whole thing is sort of new to you and maybe you've been away for a little while or whatever the case might be, all of us actually have a place in the story. You may not realize that. Um, I, I love the way that Stephen Shoemaker puts it when he says this, a quote that we'll come back to pretty often, but he says, our lives must find their place in some greater story or they will find their place in some lesser story. If you remember two weeks ago when we were going through our Identity and Rhythm series, I said that we are all story formed. We're all sort of shaped by some kind of story, some sort of narrative. And so my hope is that as we move through the biblical story, what we're going to call the story of God, that we will see that start to take shape in our lives, that we'll start to see ourselves more wrapped up into that story and a product of it rather than the stories that we've been dealt with. And maybe your story uh, has a lot to do with your upbringing and your parents and how they treated you, um, whether good or bad. It, it may have a lot to do with your career and how that's gone or hasn't gone. Uh, we, we use a lot to, to shape our stories, but increasingly what I want you to do is entertain this idea, what would it look like for my life, my home, my workplace, even my neighborhood, to be shaped by the story that we're about to go through. And, and so the plan is that over the next 10 weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to share with you, we're going to tell a different part of the story. And we're going to do this for 10 weeks, and we're going to cover something like 22 different stories from the Bible. And then we're going to take some time just to dialogue about those stories. So what we're kind of used to is coming to the service, coming to the gathering of our church, and hearing a monologue, right? I speak and you listen. And sometimes you give snarky remarks to, to my monologue, right? Uh, that, that's kind of the, the case. This is going to be more of a dialogue. And so 
I'm going to throw out questions, and so I'm going to need you guys to respond to those questions so that we can start to actually experience what God is doing in all of us and not just in me. Because here's the thing, if, if the Spirit of God is on us, if we're His people, then, then His Spirit is moving in all of you too. And so there's going to be a lot that you can bring to the table as we're discussing this because God might want to say something through you to the rest of us. And so we're going to allow opportunities for those things to happen. The good news for me is that if this whole thing bombs, it's just as much your fault as it is mine. Okay? I'm totally joking. If, if you're new with us, that's kind of my humor, right? Would you say that's pretty indicative of, of the way that I, I see things? Yeah. Something like that. You're right. <laughs> um, so here's the invitation. Regardless of, you know, a lot of us have, have more or less um, background and knowledge when it comes to the Bible. Um, maybe we've even studied theology or whatever the case might be. My invitation to all of us is that we would really come to this whole series kind of like children listening to a story. Um, when I go to, to do story time with my, my two-year-old son, Caleb, and when Mandy and I do this together, he, he'll be running all around the room and, and you think, gosh, he's never going to calm down to go to bed. And yet we say, okay, pick out a story, and all of a sudden, boom, he's like on his rear end ready to receive the story, right? He, he's just, he loves it, and he'll drink it in because he's a child. Children tend to do that. And so, so come to this kind of like a child. So regardless of what your background is, Really engage with the story and see what it has for you. See what God might want to say to you through it. Um, because here's the truth. Jesus taught this way all the time. He, he would engage people through story and, and offer them an opportunity to inter, kind of inter, entertain what he was going to say, not through facts and principles, so to, so to speak, but through story. And he, they would learn a lot along the way. Um, so, so let's start... We're, since we're talking about kind of the beginnings, that's what we're going to do is, is uh, kind of the beginnings of the world and, and how everything got started. Does it seem to you like things are sort of working properly in the world today? <laughs> I heard some laughter. It's almost like a joke, right? Are, are things the way that they should be? What are some indications? What are, what are some things that we've seen recently that would cause us to say the world isn't quite the way it should be? <laughs> the first thing I heard was honey boo boo. I'm going with that. <laughs> what, what else? Yeah, Clayton, right? Children killing other children. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get... Much more devastating than that. And I, I do, I mean, just uh, as, as a pastor and leader here, I just implore you, please, to keep them in prayer. Um, both the families, as well as the community of Clayton, which I know at least one of our families lives in and is dealing with the repercussions of that, and really praying for them that they would be salt and light in that community, um, that it would really raise up a whole lot of opportunities for people to engage with the good news of Jesus through this terrible, terrible circumstance. So, yeah, absolutely. What else? I mean, we've seen tons of things recently, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So, even across the globe, a little girl wants education for herself and her classmates, and, uh, and the Taliban that are trying to suppress uh, women education take her out, even though she's just a young child. It's just unreal, right? Um, have you ever wondered why? 
Like, why isn't the world the way it should be? All of us have this kind of deep down inclination going on in our soul level that things aren't quite the way that they should be. And yet, we don't often entertain that question of why. Why, would it, why are things like that? Um, and, and as we begin to look deeper into the story of God and humans and this world and kind of what we're dealt with here today, what we're going to see is that everything, when it began, was not bad. In fact, it was beautiful and good and perfect and right. That that was the way that, that everything was created at one point in time, and yet we find ourselves living in a very, very different world. And so we're going to begin this story from the very beginning, a story that starts out with a very beautiful world. I'm sure a world that you can all picture in your mind. A world of beauty and great joy. And so we're going to move through two different scenes. One we're going to call the beginning and one we're going to call first humans. So here's my invitation to you. Really listen well. Because what we're going to do is we're going to dialogue over this actual story. We're going to constantly be pointing back to it. What did the story say? What did it say? What did it say? So really engage this so that you really hear what's happening. And we're going to put up for you kind of the, the Scripture references of where we're taking all of this from the Bible. So if you want to do some, some research later on and open a Bible yourselves and kind of hear you know, what's going on, then you can do that. But he, here's how the story begins. This story is found in the Bible, and it is about God, a being that was before all things And this being, he created this earth and everything on it. God alone does what is good, right, and perfect. God alone does what is good, right, and perfect. And the Bible calls him holy. While God was creating the foundations of the earth, angels watched with amazement, singing together and shouting for joy. They're looking in going, look at that! How amazing is this? And God created these beautiful angels to worship Him. But some of these angels, they rebelled against God and His ways. Any rebellion against God is called sin. God will not allow sin to remain in His presence, so He sent the rebellious angels into darkness on the earth to face final punishment later on. Then... God decided he would create another being, one that was lower than the angels, called a human. So God took the earth and prepared it as a place for humans to live. His spirit moved over the surface of the earth as he made light, separating it from darkness. He divided the oceans and the sky. He gathered the waters in one place so that dry land would appear in another. He grew plants, flowers, and trees with seeds so that they could reproduce themselves. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars, setting the days and seasons into motion. He filled the seas with fish and the sky with birds, and the earth was filled with all kinds of wild animals. God put great care and creativity into His creation. Then He looked at everything and He said, This is good. After he prepared the earth, God said, Let us make humans in our image to be like us. 
They will be in charge of the earth and the plants and the animals that live on it. And so God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and He breathed His own breath into him, giving him life. This man would be called Adam. Later, God created the first woman, Eve, from one of Adam's ribs to be a companion and a helper for Adam. And so God created both the man and the woman in his own image. God blessed the man and the woman with the ability to continue creating through having children. He told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. He placed the humans in a beautiful garden, a place where it had everything that they needed to live life to the fullest. In the center of the garden, the very middle of it, God placed two trees. One was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said that Adam and Eve could eat from any tree in the garden except for one. The tree that would give them knowledge of good and evil. He warned them, do not eat from this tree because if you do, you'll surely die. Daily, God would come and He would spend time with the humans, walking with them in the cool of the day. He showed them how to live the best possible way. A life lived close to God and underneath His protection. A life that was full and complete. And Adam and Eve loved being with God. As God looked over His creation, He thought, this is very good. After creating all this, God rested. And He set aside a day each week for His creation to rest just like he did. That's the story. So we're going to kind of dialogue about that. I'm going to ask you some questions and ask for you to respond a little bit to those questions. So I want to set up some ground rules before we do it. Um, If you can, with the questions, try to answer as best as you possibly can about the story from the story. Okay? So, So in other words... Constantly be recalling back to the story. What did the story say about that? And the second thing is because, um, you know, it's not a very large room, but it's hard for a lot of us to hear maybe from, especially from the back. So so try to speak as loudly as you can. And maybe if you're all the way in the back, you might even have to stand to to be able to give your your answer, okay? So those are the ground rules. So here we go. So from this story, how, how did God make humans kind of unique among his whole creation. What was different about them than any other being? Yeah, made, made in his image, right? What does that mean? Right. So they're like him. So, so humans, in some sense, we have uh, an imprint on us Uh, that no other creature, no other creation that God has in His whole creation has except for us. He he kind of imprinted something upon us that He didn't do in any other fashion. The the technical term for that is the imago Dei, the image of God that's in Latin. Um, But that's a very important concept, right? What, What else is unique about humans in the story? 
Yeah, lower than the angels, right? Yeah, so there's some distinction there between uh, the angels and the humans, right? What else? Yeah, that's a big one, right? He, he breathed his own breath into Adam, and Adam sprung to life. It, apart from his breath, Adam didn't have any life, right? It's interesting because the, the word for breath there is actually the same word for spirit. Um, and so apart from the spirit of God, there actually is no life. So in the same way, Adam didn't have life apart from God's intervention and speaking into him. What else? They were in relationship with one another. Yeah, that's a really important part, right? From the very beginning. So, so one, you know, one of the things you see is that uh, Adam wasn't exist to, to exist alone, right? He, he needed a helper and companion for him. Free will, yeah. The ability to choose, right? Either to choose him and for him or choose otherwise. We see that right from the very beginning. And in that, you can kind of see God's grace a little bit, right? Because God is, is saying to them, I love you enough um, to allow you to choose other than me. Because if, if I didn't give you that choice, then it wouldn't be real love, right? Yeah. Real authority, right? No. As far as we can see from the story, nobody else has any kind of authority or ability to have dominion over everything. And he says to Adam and Eve, go and do it all. You know, this is all for you. But shepherd it and take care of it just like I've taken care of you. Did you see that in the story? I'm just want, like, we want to constantly be bringing back to the story. And you, I think you make a great point, and you will probably see that a little bit later on down the road. Absolutely, it kind of comes back to breathing his breath into him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's the, he's the, only, the only one, as far as we can see, that God actually names. He gives an identity to and says, Here, this is who you are, right? So, so how do we know that humans were created good? Yeah. What does he say exactly? This is very good, right? In other words, I couldn't have done any better. You know? Like, do you, do you ever wonder that? I mean, that has great implications for life, doesn't it? Do you, ever, do you ever think of yourselves as being kind of sub what you were supposed to be? That kind of mentality is rampant in our culture, right? And it's probably present in our own hearts. Man, I just wish I were more. I, I wish I were different. I wish I were better. But what does the story say? I created you very good. I gave you an identity. You know, what would be different about life if you actually lived according to it, right? So, so speaking of identity then, what, kind of, what are some of the other elements that sort of make up our identities? If you were to think of all the different areas of your life, what, what tends to be the things that give you an identity or a sense of, of worth and being? What you do, what, like what, what specifically? Job, yeah. Family, relationships, right? Hobbies, yeah, things that you like to do, yep. Goals, things that you're trying to achieve, sure. How about abilities, right? If, you, if you've practiced something for a long time, that becomes how you tend to introduce yourself to somebody else uh, and talk about who you are. I'm good at this, right? 
So, so think to yourself, just for a second, you don't have to answer this one out loud, but what would you think to yourself is maybe the identity in your life that's giving you currently the, the most powerful dose of self-worth for yourself? Like something should probably pop up pretty quickly for you. Now, now keeping that thing in mind, what do you think would change about you or about us if our identity depended on kind of being image bearers of God for our worth? What, what would change about us? What would be some of the things that would be true about us that maybe aren't currently? It would be very good. In what way? I mean, So we probably wouldn't jump to condemn other people as quickly as we often do. Yeah. What else? What would change about us? Yeah. We would live for, for God and not ourselves. Yeah. And as a byproduct, probably for other people too. Yeah. We spend a whole lot of time living for ourselves, don't we? What else would change? What would change about our identity if our sense of self-worth came from us being in the image of God, made in the image of God, very good? Do you think that sometimes, like, when we do wrong and know we do wrong or think we've messed up in life, that somehow we've lost that image-bearing? Like that we're no longer made in God's image and so we feel terrible about who we are and, or that we need to make up for the fact that we've, you know, wronged ourselves or others. Yeah, that could be part of it. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's probably the primary one, at least in our culture, is that we, um, we, we define our sense of self-worth by what we accomplish and what we do rather than who we are. Right? And so th- this, this hits the fan all the time when people get to around mid- midlife because there's something, what, that's called a midlife? What is a midlife crisis? Yeah, it's when, it's when your life hasn't added up to as much as you thought it would by the point of your midlife. And you think, man, I've only got half of my life left to make something of myself. That's really what a midlife crisis is. How would that change if, if our identity was based on the fact that God has made us image bearers in his likeness? <laughs> yeah. There'd be a whole lot of Audi dealerships out of business, right? <laughs> yeah, and in, a, in a serious sense, what do we do? We, we, we try to purchase things so that our... We feel better about our identity so that others will look at us and feel like we're something. But basically, we're just saying to other people, tell me who I am, right? If our, if our image was based on the fact that we were made in the image and likeness of God and that we were very good and he, he, he actually likes us, then, yeah, our, my need to get others' approval by what I drive would be completely distorted and crashed, right? Yeah. Those poor salesmen, I tell you. <laughs> so, so what kind of relationship did God have with the humans? Speaking of, of that relationship, what was true about it? Intimate. Why, how do you see that? Yeah. Isn't that cool? 
And what did he do with them? You ever ever consider that? Like in in the story, um, God is the one that pursues the people, right? Like Adam and Eve aren't like sitting around going, you know, it's three o'clock and we haven't heard from God yet today. I wonder where he is, you know? No, like God shows up in the garden every day and he pursues after them no matter where they are. And he says, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. Let's talk out life, you know? Let's be together. What else is true of it? Yeah. Nothing hindering that relationship, right? To this point, you don't see any hiding, right? Adam and Eve don't withdraw. They, they love being with God. And we said that a couple times, right? Yeah, naked and unashamed, right? Yeah, so they could eat as much as they wanted from the tree of life. There are like movies created where people are looking for like a tree of life or a fountain of life and they never find it. Adam and Eve, they know where it is and they can eat freely from it all the time. That's a cool distinction, right? Now, don't get ahead of me in the story now. <laughs> we'll get to that later on, right? So, so... So who gave, who, who, let's just connect the dots here for a second. Who gave them the tree of life? God created it, right? He created it for who? For them to enjoy, right? So in that sense, he, like God is the source of all blessing, right? He said, if you're looking for something good in the garden, guess who gave it to you? God gave it to you. I mean, if you, if you were to kind of sum it all up, and we can do this for a little while, it's almost like God is the perfect father, right? I mean, he protects, he provides, he, I mean, he's always there, he's involved. There, there, there's a little bit of danger, right, in that there's a, a tree that they shouldn't eat, and yet God is continually giving grace and warning them. Say, look, don't, don't, don't even go there, because if you do, it's going to result in death, and I don't want that for you, right? What an amazing providential father that Adam and Eve have in the midst of this garden. It's amazing, right? What do you think, I mean, we've mentioned the two trees. What do you think is significant about those two trees? Where are they in the garden? In the center, right? So they're not like hidden behind a bush or something. They're like right in the middle, you know? And what do they, what do they represent? Choice, right? The choice, let's make it clear though. What's, what are the two choices? Yeah, life and death, right? Yep. To live for ourselves or to live under God. Isn't that great? Like that God, uh, the way that He created us was to protect us from death, pain, evil, sorrow, anger, hate, war. He, 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 I mean, you see that in the story, right? God set it up and He said, I, I don't want you to experience this because it's going to produce death. And I'm trying to protect you for it, but I love you so much that I'll give you the ability to choose. And so even if you choose a life apart from Me, understand this is what it's going to produce, but I don't want that for you. It's amazing, isn't it? What else do we learn about God? We've, he's a great storyteller, isn't He? Yeah. I mean, what's the scope of the story so far? It's huge, isn't it? It's massive. 
What else? How do we see that? <laughs> You're starting to get to know what I'm going to say before I say it, right? Yeah, I mean, he sets up consequences, right? Um, and we're going to see that he sticks by those consequences. That's, that's the next thing that we're going to find. What else does he, what, are we, what else do we learn about God? What, yeah, he's in charge of everything, right? Yeah, nothing happened up until this point that God had not intended to happen. He, he's in charge of everything. He's, the, the biblical word for that is sovereign, right? Yeah, he's the story writer too, yep. Um, what did God do after he created everything? He rested, right? Um, why do you think God rested? <laughs> I was hoping somebody would say he was tired. Yeah. That's, I mean, to be honest, that's kind of projecting us onto God, right? Because we get tired. And so we, we think maybe, maybe God gets tired. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that cool that God, I think, I think you're, you're all kind of tapping into the same vein and it's really running together. Um, that, that there was nothing left for God to accomplish. Isn't that cool? That, that everything was so good, in fact, that he could rest from it and go, I can enjoy this. I can really enjoy what I've created. Have you ever had a moment like that? Like a day where you could just like, ha, huh, this is awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit of it, it is finished, right? There's nothing left to do. And subsequently, um, even though he gives Adam and Eve a, a, a mandate, right, a charge, um, they're not to do what God has done, right? So in that sense, they're to rest too. And he creates, uh, you know, his humans to rest just like God rested. So what do you think, I mean, just from the story so far, is what, what's the point of life so far? Like, why, why do we exist from the story? It's fellowship, right? It's to know God, to experience him. To be in relationship with God? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a community aspect of it too. It's not just me and God. It's us and God, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. So they could enjoy um, God's creation and not just toil in it, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, they, they still are, are in need to take care of God's creation. Right, yeah. Not just on clouds with harps, right? They had something else to do. <laughs> Amen to that, no weeds, yeah. So, so do you think that, that that picture, what we've talked about, is, is that how people in our culture would frame um, what life is about? What's different? Yeah, the acquisition of money, stress, greed, competition. Yeah, that's a big one. No, no Sabbath, like no rest, right? It's hard for people even to take a single day of rest now. And even when you do, like you're constantly checking your cell phone to see if work emails come in, right? 
lack of relationship with God and one another, right? I mean, real distance between people, too. So, so let's kind of, let, let's turn the page a little bit and see maybe why this is happening. Because we're going to cover the next scene of the story and then dialogue a little bit about that, too, and, and then we'll end. So this is what happens next. One day, a serpent, the most clever of all the animals in the garden, came to the woman. He asked Eve, did God really say you must not eat of any of the fruit in the garden? Eve told him, no, we can eat from any tree in the garden. It's only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we're not allowed to eat from or even touch it, for we, we will surely die if we do. The serpent said to her, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. When Eve saw how good and delicious the fruit looked and that it would make her wise, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to Adam, her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. They chose not to believe in God and to believe the lie. Instantly, their eyes were opened and they became filled with shame and fear. They strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover their nakedness in their shame. Toward evening, they heard God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves among the trees. And God called to them, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you coming and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God answered, Why are you ashamed of being naked? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Adam blamed Eve, saying, It was this woman that you gave me. That always gets the biggest rise. I don't know why. (laughs) She gave me some. Then God said to Eve, How could you do this? Eve blamed the serpent, saying, The serpent tricked me into eating the fruit. So God said to the snake, Because you have done this, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. You will be the enemy of the woman and her children. You will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. God's heart was broken because of their disobedience. But he could not ignore what they had done. God had always done and will always do what is good, right, and perfect. His perfect justice required that there be consequences for rebellion. And so God punished Adam and Eve by throwing them out of the garden, outside of his care and protection. No longer would God's way, no longer following God's way, they were now subject to sickness, pain, and death. God continued to love Adam and Eve. He created clothing for them out of animal skin so that they would not be ashamed outside of the garden. So, going back to Adam and Eve, what did they choose to do in the story? Rebel how? Yeah, they ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, the one that he had warned them about, right? That they would die if they ate it. In what way? How did they doubt God? Yeah. And so they exchanged the truth of what God said for the lie of the serpent and what he had said, right? 
So who did they not trust in that equation? God. Had he ever given them any reason not to trust him? No, right? Who who are they kind of trusting in? Uh, Specifically Eve. She says something in particular. That who, who did Eve kind of show that she was trusting in apart from God? Yeah, but besides the serpent, who else? How, does, how, is, she, how is she trusting herself? She thought she knows better, right? She saw the tree, right? Saw that it, the, the fruit was delicious and good to eat. She, she perceived that it would give her wisdom. And so those conclusions, her own observations, kind of led her to make that decision, right? Now, now in that, there, there, there's a temptation that's kind of underneath the surface that we need to tug at a little bit. What, what was the real temptation that Adam and Eve were presented with by the serpent? They wanted to be like God. In what way? Yeah, they wanted to have knowledge over good and evil. What's another way of saying that? Yeah, but what did they want? They wanted the ability to do something that only God has. To control, yeah, what's good and bad. You know, I've noticed um, I only have a bad day when things don't go my way. (laughs) Did you ever notice that in life? Like when you're having a really... You know, everything's kind of lining up and you're hitting all the green lights and everything. You get to the end of the day and what's your conclusion? It was a good day, you know? (laughs) What about when things don't go your way? It was a very bad day. Very, very bad. What is that? Selfishness. Yeah, that, that, that is saying, in a sense, I'm reserving the right to decide what kind of day it is. What is good and what is bad, right? That goes all the way back to the garden. That's what we're seeing in the story. Adam and Eve, they wanted to reserve for themselves the ability to say in the world, this is what's good and this is what's bad. According to the story, who gets to say that? God does. And so what are they trying to do? Yeah, they want to, in a sense, they want to set their throne above God's throne. And say, no, I, I get to make the call. And God, if, if you decide a different way than I should decide, your throne is actually below mine. And so I'm going to determine that you're not good rather than my circumstances aren't good. Do you ever deal with that in life? I do all the time. I mean, selfishly, just being honest with you. I, I, want, I always want to reserve the right in my life to determine what things are good in my life and what things are bad. And really, that's just me saying, God, I want to be God. I don't want you to be God anymore. That goes all the way back to the beginning, right? That's part of our original story. So, so what was God's kind of response then? Adam and Eve, they, they make this choice. They choose something else. They kind of place themselves over God, and they say, I want the knowledge of, of what's good and bad. Um, what's God's initial response to them? Yeah, he goes after him, right? Isn't that cool? Now, 
if I were thinking the way, like if I were writing the story, I would think everything's good and God shows up all the time in the garden. And now everything goes haywire and, and, and his creation rebels against him. If I'm God, I'm not going in there, right? Because like if you've ever had this happen to you where somebody wrongs you and then withdraws from you, how, 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 like, how likely are we to go after them? Not very, right? What are we more likely to say? <laughs> right? Yeah, you made your bed, now you can lie in it. We're more likely to say good riddance, right? Heck with you. I'm going my own way. I'm going to do this thing over again. What does God do? He shows up. Same time, same place. Do you think God didn't know where they were? Right. So it's not like God's showing up and going, I wonder where they are. You know? <laughs> hmm. They're not under this rock, you know? But So what is he doing? You, you said it already. So in a sense, he's trying to reveal to Adam and Eve what's going on in their own hearts by asking the questions, right? Yeah, to make them admit. Yeah. Admit or even realize the consequences of their actions, right? They might not even realize. I mean, you kind of get a sense of that from Adam's response. He's like, I don't know. We just, we sort of made fig leaves. I'm a little ashamed right now. And God's going, why are you ashamed? Who, who taught you to be ashamed? That, that was part of the knowledge that God had protected them from, right? Before that, they were naked and unashamed. They could be who they were to themselves, to others, to God. No shame, no hiding. And now there's total shame, right? So what, what was the consequence for their actions? We named shame. That's, that's kind of one of them. What else? Kicked out of the garden? Yep, so there's a, there's a separation in the relationship that happens between them and God as a result of their rebellion. What else? Yeah, so there's a little bit of hiding from one another. We never do that, right? We never, actually, we never hide the way we really feel from one another, right? And there's blaming. There, there's, there's a, it's not my fault, it's your fault, right? Rather than owning up to the fact that they had both been culpable. Just the man did. Yeah, he was the one. The woman blamed the serpent, though. So, the, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. That comes later in the story. She blames the man. Now, <laughs> don't get ahead of us, yeah. <laughs> now, how, how do we see mercy as being a consequence? Let me just point it that, that direction. Do you see mercy at all? God made clothes for the people. How is that significant? He still cares, doesn't he? Yeah, right. He's thinking of the durability of their clothing. Yeah, yeah. He spared them. Yeah. Yeah. Right, he, 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 he didn't follow through with the full consequence of what he could have, right? What does that tell you? He's, he's a compassionate God. Yeah. What's it tell you about life, though? If this is true of our story, what's it tell you about the fact that we can actually walk around and live and breathe? It's the grace of God, right? 
God has allowed, do you, do you realize that? I mean, from the story, we can kind of get at the fact that, 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 that you can even walk around living and breathing and living your life um, before you even knew who God was and the, everything. Was God's grace to you today to be able to do that? Yeah. Yep. It even says it, right? God continued to love Adam and Eve. And even, he even predicts something of the future in the way that things might get turned out right in the end. It's amazing, isn't it? You still see God's compassion and his providence in people's lives. Why do you think God required a consequence, though, for their rebellion? Like, why not just let them off the hook? So there's a bit of a teaching element there. What else? From the story, what did we specifically see? God is just, right? It said that um, God cannot allow rebellion to stay in his midst. That's the whole reason that he kicked the angels out in the first place. And then subsequently the humans had to leave the garden because he he couldn't allow it in his presence. There had to be a a consequence for that. Because God is what? We, We said it right from the very beginning. It starts with H. God is holy, right? He always does what is good, right, and perfect. And so when there's rebellion in his midst, that creates separation from him because it can't stand in his presence. So how, how are we like Adam and Eve? We'll kind of wrap up with that question. How are we like them? Are we like them? Let's, I mean, let's start with this. Do, do you kind of see Adam and Eve uh, in us? Not just in the world, but specifically like in us here at Cultivate Church. And so how? Yeah, we want to choose a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, in a sense, we're presented with that choice all the time, aren't we? I mean, so, so those two trees, in a sense, all, still exist today. Every day, you, you probably don't realize this, you have the opportunity to, to choose life and submission to God by being close to him. Or choose death for yourselves by saying, I want to rule over my own life. We get that choice every single day, don't we? And how often do we choose death? We don't realize that we're choosing death when we choose it, right? We just think, I'm choosing to, to have a say, to, to kind of be sovereign over my own life. And God needs to continually remind us all the time, all the time, every time you choose that, just realize it's not my will for you, but it will produce for you death. It's an amazing truth, right? How else are we like Adam and Eve? Yeah, it results in shame oftentimes, right? Um, sometimes that keeps us from uh, asking for forgiveness of people that we've wronged because we think, what are they going to think of us? You know, so there's that hiding aspect to it. I'm convinced all the time, more and more as I read the story, that we're constantly trying to construct fig leaves for ourselves to make other people think that we're better than we are. Do you you see that in your own life? I do. I'm not for you. I'm saying for myself. Anything else? We try to hide. Yeah. And what's the good news then in the story? Yeah, right. You know, he, he not only knows where we are, he knows the condition of our heart. 
and yet he still comes and pursues us in the midst of it. Yeah, he loves to be intimate with, with his people, doesn't he? It's one of the things that you've seen over and over again through this, even today. We're going to see that over and over again throughout the whole story. God always knows everything. He knows all things. He knows their heart. He knows the condition of it. Um, and he keeps his promises, doesn't he? It's one thing we learn about God. He always keeps his promises. And yet, at the same time, he, he provides grace for us in the midst of our rebellion, does he not? I mean, that's, that's, that's Adam and Eve's story. And the, the good news is, if that's their story, even though there's bad news with it, that's our story too, right? Um, I, I, are you getting kind of a scope of, of the amazing kind of sense of God's story? Is this, it's a little bit different, but are you kind of enjoying the format? Okay, good. If not, we're in for a long road, so. <laughs> um, I just want to draw our, our attention a little bit as, as we wrap up and, and move into worship that, that um, at, just as there was one garden where people chose death because they wanted to rebel against God, and we continually have chosen that path for us, that God did provide another way. Um, and, and so every time that we go through the story, we're going to point toward, like forward to um, the, the, the culmination of this story and how God, in the end, does have his way and, and draws back to himself a people who are surrendered to his good and perfect rule. Um, because even though in the first garden we chose death, there was a second garden with another son. And his name wasn't Adam, but his name was Jesus. And if you remember anything about the story, it's just, it's amazing that, that God would send his only son down to earth to be for Adam and Eve and all of his, their descendants, the perfect son who would live the perfect life under the submission of God so that those of us who've rebelled against God would find life through his son. If you remember further in the story that Jesus goes and he prays to his father in a garden and he says to him, there's some stuff coming and I'm really afraid of it and if there is any way to do this, God, apart from me having to sacrifice my own life and and give it up for the sake of them, I, I pray, God, that you would let it happen. And then he says something else to God, doesn't he? He says, but not my will. Your will be done, doesn't he? In the first garden, humans chose for themselves life. And the result of choosing life for themselves, that knowledge of good and evil, it resulted in death. In the second garden, Jesus chooses death so that those of us who wanted life apart from God would experience new life in him because of Jesus dying for us. That's amazing, isn't it? You see how it's all connected to the story? And we can live as part of that story each and every day because God gives within us His Spirit to be His life within us so that when we want to rebel against God, which we all do, we all want to continue to go down that old path, God gives us the ability through His Spirit, not us. It's not our ability to do it, but God gives us His Spirit. and He says, I've given you my power to be able to live a life that's fully surrendered to me 
And when you do that, and when you lay down your ability and your, your desire to choose for yourself what's good and right and bad and wrong, when you say, I'm going to give that up and trust that you're good, right, and perfect, God says, I will give you my spirit and my power to live a surrendered life to me. And that is the best life possible. That's what the story tells us. Now, I hope you're excited for it. Um, we're going to continue to do this for the next 10 weeks. I'm really excited to see what God has for us. And I hope that we're all changed through it. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you are the great storyteller. Um, that you've been writing this story from the beginning and that you are holy, which means that you are good, right, and perfect in all that you do. And uh, we thank you, God, that um, when you created us, you created us in your image to be like you. And you also created us to be intimate with you and to walk with us in the cool of the day and to talk out all of life with you, to not hide anything from you, to be, in, in that sense, naked and unashamed before you. Thank you, God, that you are the perfect Father, that you provided for us, you protected us. And even when we walked away from that protection and said, God, I want to choose for myself, you continued to provide for us and give us mercy and grace. What an amazing thought. Thank you, God, that that story does not end with us experiencing death, but we have an opportunity through your Son to experience the life that we don't deserve. Thank you, God, that you're such a gracious God and Father. I pray that we would experience that this week as we just consider the story that we're a part of. I pray that as we go through this, you would write this story on our hearts so that we would be changed and look more like this perfect Son that we love and worship whose name is Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.